showing children how to live versus Mm -hmm. telling them Mm -hmm. is the unlock to so many of the questions. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Hey guys, it's Gary Vaynerchuk. Excited about this podcast episode. Uh, We have an incredibly interesting guest. Uh, uh, Been on my radar a little bit here and there and then uh, when Zach Nadler came over to start uh, Vayner Speakers, um, we talked about, oh Jesus, Zach, right? Like thousands of different people and Janice was super on our radar and and I'm excited to, before we get into this, to say that she's part of the Vayner Speakers roster but more importantly, you know, from my perspective, when I think about the audience that is uh, listening to this podcast, I, I always think about what are some of the voices that I can bring to the table that at the religious level uh, I very much understand and then from their different perspectives and angles will bring value to the table. So that is one of the individuals uh, that is here right now. Uh, Janice, why don't you tell everybody who you are, your, uh, what you do, and let's get a little bit into the origin story. Well, thanks, first of all. It's just really wonderful to be here. Your team was so receiving of me. Thank you. Yeah, they kind of told me I should be a little bit afraid to walk into this room as well. Get so. out of here. Yeah, they, they did. Yeah, they did. They say you are going to curse me out. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I only curse the, the, the universe out. I'm never an individual <laughs> human. Well, that's okay because it always gives back mm-hmm, well. Mm-hmm. Um, before you curse me out, though, Gary, I am Janice Bryant Halroy, born in Tarboro, North Carolina. So that's a big part of who I am. I am yes. and understanding where today I'm doing business in over 22 countries under the Act One group. We provide workforce solutions. So if you think of it in terms of talent, technology, and process, that's what we do with companies, which is a long journey from that first office where I made my first placement um, in 1978. So take me prior to 1978. What kind of girl were you in North Carolina? Um, you know, this is something we actually talked about in a meeting earlier, right here in this building in L'Oreal. I was sharing at break time with someone. When I was born into a family that was at its fullest 11 siblings, Mm -hmm. and my mom and dad, one mom, one dad, um, in the Deep South, Mm -hmm. uh, North Carolina is pretty deep. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a matter of fact, my hometown is an original plantation town. Wow. Uh huh. And in many ways, it still is. Um, I was not aware that I was born into what the U.S. government would call poverty. I thought we were well off. I understand. We always had enough and some to give. And so I had an idea of myself as a child, as a part of a very rich family. We were enriched, we weren't rich. I understand. And when I went to university, I discovered that we were poor, and that did a trick on my head. Interesting. I had to figure out how could I have had to my mind to that point such a wholesome upbringing and then go to university and find out Paint that picture for me. Paint that picture for me. First day of university, like on campus, like immediately. So here's the thing. I was a part of a a group called Project Upward Bound. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it basically was a program that was federally funded to support the education with the idea that if uh, students like me from, you know, students who were academically achieving, but from 
financially uh, 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 poor families would have a visit on college campuses over the summer, we get that experience and go on to higher education. And so I was one of those first students from my community to be a part of Project Upward Bound. I hit North Carolina A&T's campus. I get right. Um, <laughs> Gotta give it, gotta give it, right? And homecoming. That was by far too. one of the best moments ever. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, but, 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 but here's the thing, Garrett. Here's the thing. So I went away to North Carolina A&T my uh, ninth grade year of high school. Wow. And okay. I found out sitting in a classroom that my family was poor. That was the first thing that kicked me. And I was academically achieving, remember, you know. We because took somebody literally said, here are these kids and why? Or because you looked around and saw because different Because an shit. instructor in a classroom talked about what income levels constituted in terms of, you know, family wealth. Uh, and not differently than families in Boston today yep. where black families have a net worth of $8. Yep. Okay. Um, in any event, um, the other thing that hit me was... I wasn't simply economically disadvantaged, but socially and ethnically I was disadvantaged. I'd not seen myself that way before. I grew up in a segregated town, so everybody I saw was kind of like me in some way, and we were on the upper end of that because mm -hmm. mom and dad it's all were context. doing well. It's all context. It's context. My it mother really has the same thing. My mother grew up in the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. I was born mm -hmm. in Russia in the Soviet Union. Yeah. They grew up in a super poor place during the height of communism, and they had they had a refrigerator, mm -hmm. which made her believe that they were disproportionately yeah. better off than everybody else. Yeah, that was the core principle. And item. in some ways, they were. <laughs> they were because everything's context. Yeah. I remember going to the Soviet Union when it was the Soviet Union, and it was I, I visited Leningrad. And my husband and I went with NBC. You remember they filmed Peter the Great? Of course. And I remember going. And I remember the conversations that the team of people who were with us were having. And this wasn't your interview conversation, was it? I'm, but you do challenge my memory this in is some fun wonderful shit. This ways. is what I want to talk about. Keep going. Yeah, yeah. And so I remember sitting on the train. And as we left Finland, the train was... Uh, very comfortable and very situated in yes. one way. And then when we crossed no man's land, we ended up getting off the train and then we got back on the train and it had been refitted. And I, and, and I heard the conversation around me and the impact that had on other people. And I thought to myself, it's not unlike the experience that I'd had. So when you equate your mom's life with my life, wow, on so many levels, Makes a lot of sense true. to me. You see, Makes a lot I of sense. think in this country. Not to get... mention, my mother's Jewish, as am I. Yeah. And this is post World War II. Mm -hmm. And being Jewish in Eastern Europe, post World War II, you know, it, from, the, from a very early age, I would yell at older relatives for me of not being empathetic to the suppression in America. Mm -hmm. Now that they were so happy that they weren't being suppressed. And I was like, how could you be so hypocritical when you, I mean, this is me 13 years old crying, yelling at, Ridiculous uncles saying dumb shit, saying you fucking hypocrites. Like this is what you tell war stories but about. Barbara Streisand told you what's too painful to remember, we choose to forget. <laughs> and so I think that there is that slide, Gary, and this isn't academic. It is highly emotional from a very, you know, uh, experienced perspective though, which is more like wisdom than academia, right? Um, 
I do believe there is that slide. Some people call it a shift. I think shift is too abrupt. But there is that slide that occurs in any group of people when you're when you are shifting from one economy or one experience 100%. to the next. And it's that generation that achieves that where often a lot of the opportunity and the fault will lie with. I see it with first uh, first generation immigrants even today who are not wanting their children to speak like them or yep. not teaching them uh, what they consider their native language because 100%. they don't want it to be perceived as a first yeah, language. Yeah, I understand. So. I understand. So you were a good student. I, I was a darn good student. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And uh-huh. then you go to college. Mm-hmm. And what happens there? Um, well, at university, I started to see the world in a way that wasn't very different than my parents had encouraged me to see it. But what happened was I got the opportunity to think about it differently. I shared this. It's interesting you're asking me this because you're provoking all types of thoughts for me. I shared this with a team of my executives a couple of years ago at one of our uh, group meetings. It was very late in my life that I actually began to identify myself as a Janice. Up until long after university, I always identified myself as a Bryant. Hmm. Even now, remember, even after being married, I, I you asked me to introduce myself. Yeah. What did I say, Janice Bryant Halroyd? Yes. You know, and my husband is a Yorkshire-born white Britishman, right? Yes, and he's. <laughs> like you know uh, he's 85 so he was of an age and an ilk where he really wanted me to carry his name there's some political thoughts about that (laughs) that people have okay but mine wasn't political mine simply was that I'm not going to stop being a Bryant in order to be a Halroyd I really identified closely with that family unit I didn't become a Janice until after I built a business interesting so do you then in retrospect have enormous admiration for what your parents did in those four walls? Uh, It's gonna sound like a quote, but I'm telling you it was huge. It was huge growing up, it is huge today. When I saw how my mom and dad were respected in the community, I remember wanting to be just like my mom. I wrote a paper in school that she was the person I most admired. Years later, without any overt encouragement from me perchance my own natural relationship to my mother and the respect we show her my son had to write about a hero or she wrote in his class and he wrote about his grandma now what he actually said was i love my grandma she serves uh, her minister on sunday and then she goes to vegas on saturday <laughs> she wears a cat suit and i remember going on to his uh, his campus and his teacher saying oh i gotta meet your mom and i'm like what you didn't meet my mom. Your son wrote about her. My mom has penetrated so much of what I know. Now, I give homage to my dad. My dad passed away in a uh, boating accident. I'm sorry. So I had graduated high school, but there were still younger kids there. A lot of who we are as a family was molded by my dad, but mom had the responsibility to I've deliver through. that through. It's too bad. Mm-hmm. How, Isn't that a how lot old of people's story? Yeah, of course. I mean, listen. A lot of people's stories are predicated on adversity. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm yeah, not sure yeah. that a lot of people in this day and age can associate with 11 siblings, you know? But I think, you know, I'm listening to you and like I am a, I mean, I'm writing a book called Perfectly Parented. Uh huh. You know, yeah. I have such, yeah. 
I, I, I am unbe- unbelievably affected by parenting. You know, it's actually, this is very meta. D-Rock, who's a very mm-hmm. core part of my life and my narratives, mom is literally in the room and I just met her and it's crazy the feelings I have towards her through the years of getting to know David mm-hmm. and knowing what intuitively I believe. And obviously, when you think about parents, you don't know what's coming from a mother, mm-hmm. what's coming from a father, what's DNA, what's parenting, what's circumstance. Or how people family. Or how people family. Yeah. But yeah. fuck, it is such a big deal. And I will argue, until the cows come home, that we are in an incredibly difficult time in parenting's history right now because I believe the manifestation of a lot of unhappiness in the 18 to 27 year old set is a direct byproduct of the entitlement and lack, and excuse me, not lack, and the creation of fake environments at scale that parenting has done in the last generation and the current generation and the convenience of parenting blaming social media and technology instead of looking at their face and, and the mirror and understanding that the way we've parented over the last 20, 30 years with, with trying to eliminate lo- demonizing losing and eighth place trophies and delusion and lack of accountability has caused an ungodly amount of sadness. Oh, let the church say amen. I got your back on that. Truly, truly I do. And I am outrageously socially mm-hmm. liberal. Mm-hmm. I really mm-hmm. am. I mm-hmm. want kindness and happiness, but not mm-hmm. in the form of fucking delusion. And you shouldn't have to excuse that you are liberal on a social level to express that you also value parenting. The most. You, you get what I'm saying? Of course They are I do. not polar opposites of each other. I'll tell you something else that's an element of parenting. I think it's how we express love to each other as parents that teaches our kids a lot too. Gary, I think it was a couple of years ago, I was at a Hope Forum. John, uh, are you familiar with John? I am. Okay. And so um, one of the questions I got from the audience late into the day and the room still crowded, these people are asking me questions and one man stood up and I could tell he was really serious because, you know, guys don't cry easily, <laughs> right? In public, right? Especially when you're in Atlanta. And he was uh, asking me, what could he do in terms of parenting a daughter uh, whose mother he was divorcing? And I said, show her how well you love her mother regardless of whether 100%. you're romantically inclined. 100%. You know? And, 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 and so- Showing, I apologize, showing yeah. children how to live versus mm-hmm. telling them mm-hmm. is the unlock to so many of the questions. My mother-in-law, before becoming my mother-in-law, said to me when I asked her, what advice would you give me if Bernard and I marry and we have children? And she said, your children more attention pay to what you do than what you say. And it lived with me. It truly lived with me. It's basically, when, when I have a large team, in, you know, there's a thousand people in this company, but there's a small 30 person team here that works around my world, and a lot of scru- debate amongst themselves, scrutiny from the outside of it, talks to about management or how, how mm-hmm. we do it. And I use the word osmosis at all the time, mm-hmm. and it's because that's how shit actually gets done. Yeah. By watching me and watching them and just living it yeah. Instead of pontificating ideology. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I shared this recently. I, uh, visiting back home, 
the last day, get, we're having a conversation about love. Who thought we were coming in here to talk about this? Um, I, I remember visiting and I slept on the uh, sofa in my mom and dad's den. And the last day I saw my dad alive, I had gotten up to go to the restroom and I came back, adult, adult, in my 20s and mid-20s, and I saw my dad and mom kissing like teenagers cheating at the front door. This is the last time you saw your dad? This is the last time she saw him alive as well. That that makes me so happy. My dad, and I remember being embarrassed by it. Of course, of course, you're a normal 25-year-old, but like to think about that you're able to tell that story and just like that, that he loved her so well after 11 children, so good after being poor in the south with no anger in that. Now, people think, Oh, you idealize your parents when you say this hand on the Bible, okay? My mom and dad, I never heard argue out loud in a fussing way to each other. They taught us how to debate. My dad insisted on it. But dad would tell us, if you go to bed angry with each other, it's your attitude, not your aptitude. You you see, these are the kind of parents I had. Good news. Neither one had a high school education. My mom went back and got hers, but neither one of them had a high school education, but they were so active. That's good news. The reason I knew that these are the parents, the re- I've been leading you down a conversation about your parents the whole time. I understand yeah. what life's about. Yeah, you do. It's not super complicated. And, it, and then it blends mm-hmm. into business. Mm-hmm. Look, leadership, being the top mm-hmm. dogette or dog mm-hmm. is, is no different than raising a child, mm-hmm. very different than raising a child, but the punchline is you're servicing the other person. Mm-hmm. The reason mm-hmm. parents suck is they make it mm-hmm. about themselves. Mm-hmm. The reason mm-hmm. CEOs suck is mm-hmm. she or he makes it about themselves. The end. Mm-hmm. It's not complicated. Mm-hmm. Girl, I want your audience to know you get two snaps, okay? <laughs> All right, now where I'm from, that's church. To me, okay? to me, it makes so much sense why you've had success, more so now, because I understand what your framework is. Mm-hmm. I believe, and I believe this more than ever because I think what the internet does now is it actually takes out a lot of social injustice because you can go direct to the consumer. So I believe, especially you, you know, a minority girl during your era, there were so many gatekeepers. You mm-hmm. had your circumstances, that some things worked for you, some things didn't, mm-hmm. but there was gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. Eight-year-old you right now mm-hmm. doesn't have gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. This is the fucking gatekeeper. Right, the phone, right, the internet. Right. So now I actually believe what I'm gonna say, and people think this is delusional, and I'll just do what I normally do, which is wait, and let them crown me 300 years Take from now. Take your time, go on. I believe that people that have remarkable parents growing up in adversity around them are the most likely to succeed in our society. Say and it I, again. And I'll say it again because I think the internet is the added variable now. Mm-hmm. I believe that you had a lot more hurdles to get through that again, the eight year old you today will not mm-hmm. have to get to because there is no gatekeeper that says no to you because of the way you look because you can go right here. Mm-hmm. And then when you layer the fact that adversity is a foundational indicator of success if you know how to handle it, which is mm-hmm. predicated on good parenting, mm-hmm. you just make a lot of sense. Gary, they didn't tell me you were having church up in here. Mm-hmm. That I, is, I believe in it. I that, believe in it. I mean, You're a very you can easy, preach you know, that. Like, it's just a very easy read. I don't mm. need to know anything else. Mm. You know, I just don't need mm. to know anything else. I'm happy for you that you were different than me because being good at school was a very important part of the equation mm-hmm. for you to have to navigate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, 
But man, it's unbelievable. That's why I love what's going on in our society today. There's so much opportunity. Mm-hmm. There's no, there, this is not by accident that this is the greatest era of female mm-hmm. rappers at scale that come mm-hmm. from, it's because right. there's no gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. When, when MTV. And women got stuff to talk about. No shit. We got stuff to talk you, about. No shit. And because the machine, the record yeah. companies and MTV, don't get to decide, okay, you're the woman of the moment. Now you can have Cardi, Meg Thee Stallion, and, and Nikki all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Lizzo, you can have them mm-hmm. all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Everyone's like, this is so incredible. No, it's not. It's basic as fuck. Yeah. yeah There's no yeah. gatekeepers. Yeah. Now yeah. this is just a talent arbitrage game. It's kind of like math, isn't it? Right? It, it is. It's, it's math. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. actual math. So, yeah. okay, a couple things. One of the biggest mistakes I've been making over the last three years with my podcast is not being 100% transparent with my audience when I or my guest is in a time crunch. Mm-hmm. And then what I do is interrupt a lot mm-hmm. and then my audience shits on me for thinking I wanna talk the whole time and I interrupt. I have to go to a parent-teacher conference. Good for you. However, I, won't, I don't want to. I wanna talk to you. Well, yeah. I know that I know that, that was not maybe the popular thing to say and I can see the comments <laughs> right now. But let me say where I'm going. This is so ridiculously interesting. I want to do this again. I haven't done a part two, but that's where we're segueing. Mm-hmm. Instead, I'm now taking, I'm maturing, I'm taking my own advice. Mm-hmm. Instead of what I used to do is kind of, I'll probably look at my, I'm already two minutes late, so I'd come up with one more bullshit yeah, question, yeah, yeah. wrap it up, and everyone's like, what the fuck was he doing? Mm-hmm. Why was that so rushed? It was so good. Now I'm bringing the audience mm-hmm. even more in than ever. Mm-hmm. I have to go to a parent-teacher conference. I was running late all day, so we didn't have as much time, and even if we had the full time, I would ask for, to do this again. So I'm saying a couple things. Mm-hmm. I intuitively adore you. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying the shit out of this mm-hmm. and I'd like to do it again and really dig in. Okay, let's do that. But that parent-teacher conference is really important. I understand what you say when you say, I don't wanna go. What you're saying is you don't wanna leave the moment. However, I you never, have a ha- higher way, value I you I never serve. wanna leave the moment yeah. and that is my greatest gift and my greatest weakness. Mm-hmm. Thanks guys for listening. Please, please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed because a bunch of you aren't subscribed and more importantly, a bunch of you listen every day and haven't told your friends it's the best podcast in the world. I'm watching. Have a great day.